Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, your ambassador of common sense, and I'm here with Dan, the ambassador of nonsense. And hello, everybody. I I really got to apologize for last week. I I could not even listen to last week's recording because of the. I it just kept thumping, and I guess. I didn't realize how loud it was, and I guess I didn't realize how much I move around when I'm talking, because with oh, this microphone, it just picks up about. everything. I mean, it, through the like, phone, you sounded fine. Yeah, but the mic was sitting on the desk, and so if I oh. typed something on the keyboard, it was like, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> it was terrible, and I would have said, let's just, we need to do that over, but... Actually, it was a pretty good podcast. Content-wise. Yeah, I felt like it was, too. I I was happy with that one. There was some funny sections, and it it was a good podcast. I didn't want to redo it because you can't fake some things. Uh, Right. So I'm just going to leave it, and uh, if you can get through it, fine. If not, then I would understand. (laughs) Okay. Well, this one will be better anyway. Hopefully, because I've made some changes, and hopefully you won't have to endure what happened last week what are uh let's see oh you told me to pick out kentucky bourbon barrel ale that's what i got that's right established 1999 bourbon barrel yep and uh it's uh it's brewed by the lexington brewery and distillery one of the few um combination brewery and distilleries in the world uh, it was founded by a guy named uh, Pierce Lyons, who's a Irish uh, entrepreneur, and the flagship product was Kentucky Ale, or Kentucky Irish Red Ale, which was just designed to be a very good, solid, drinkable Irish-style red ale. And it was later, after they, I, I don't know whether it was that he acquired or they merged with the Lexington Distillery or what, but they they got the idea to start aging their ale in some bourbon barrels. Um, and that's what the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale is. So it's it's the Kentucky Red Irish Ale aged in bourbon barrels. He also owns, um, his, his company is Alltech. He's actually, it's like, it's like an agricultural company. But he also owns a uh, distillery in Dublin, Ireland, um, in that is housed in. I don't. I don't think it's a working church anymore. But it's St James Church that like stretches back to the 12th century or something like that. Um, and if you go to Ireland, you can take a tour of that too. Um, I wonder if they use the same so, recipes. I don't know. I, you know, for the for the. Uh, for the whiskey, they might, although I doubt it, because in Ireland they would be—I mean, it would just be whiskey, so they would expect they would be expected to be an Irish whiskey. Whereas here, they're distilling and producing bourbon specifically. Obviously, being in Kentucky, that's what they would do. I took a tour of the um, of their uh, place in Lexington. It was pretty neat. Huh. So this is a but, uh, this is an Irish red ale. Yes. Brewed in that has barrels. then, well, brewed, and then after it's or completely finished as a beer, they age it for like, you know, two to six months in uh, bourbon barrels after the bourbon has been, you know, so it soaks up some of the bourbon from the from the wood. Yeah. Okay. It's not too bad. No, it's it's 
you know, it, it kind of it, their original flagship product was the Irish Red Ale, but this is now considered their, you know, their mainline product. And by yeah. the way, do you remember that at Dad's birthday when I bought him all of that? We got Kathy and I got together and we got him all that beer that said Dad's beer on it. Yeah, yeah. she bought a bunch of labels. That was this. Okay, I didn't drink any. He of that. really likes this. Yeah, no, Did Dad, you? Dad really likes this. Um, although I think it's I, all gone. You know. <laughs> you got him like he, it was a probably lot. gone. I, he was probably it was probably gone within a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. So, um, anyway, today we're are we still doing religious liberty? You know what? Let's go ahead and do that. And specifically, I want it. it this is kind of something that just has been bothering me. And the more. Uh, it, it, here's why it's interesting to me because it pulls me in two separate directions. On the one hand, I've got the, um, sort of, you know, I've, I've always had that sort of anti-establishment bent to me that yeah. not so much anti-establishment, but, but, you know, sort of a almost libertarian, um, that, you know, I want to reject this idea that, that people can tell you what to do kind of thing, you know, that, that, right. And, and, but at the same time, there is, there's wording in specifically, I want to talk about the Vatican II document, Dignitatis Humanae, uh, which is Latin for the dignity of man, um, that sort of defines the modern church concept of religious liberty and, and the right to religious liberty and what it means. And I think that there are some, real problems in the document and i think that when when you get around to kind of analyzing it and and paring it down and saying okay what is really being said here you get to a point where the um it's like the document itself is kind of useless because it doesn't really it can't really mean what a lot of people might take it to mean but by the time you pare it down and figure out what it could really possibly mean, you end up with, oh, well, that's just the traditional understanding in the Catholic Church anyway. Yeah. And so it, uh, com it comes down to being a useless document. I think, uh, what's his name? Taylor Marshall uh, calls it uh, weaponized ambiguity because yeah. later it can be used to say all kinds of things that really are not true. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. At the same time, we can hold our head and say, hey, wait a minute, no, it doesn't say that. If you translate it in light of tradition, then really this is what it means, which is right. almost nothing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, yeah. I want to, I, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of, I'll start talking about it and talking about some quotes from it in different sections and giving my thoughts, and maybe you might have some responses. Uh, I don't know if you've really thought much about this as a, um, even as a topic. I, you, you know, mm -hmm. you know that I, for a time, um, I'll say flirted with, um, you know, like hanging out with, with people like, um, uh, what was his name even? Uh, Miller, Jason Miller. Yeah. Um, you know, with with the the kind of the trad movement, and of course, part right. of the 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 whole religious liberty trajectory of the modern church is one of the things that they kind of call on in order to um, sort of uh, show that the modern church has 
is not really the church that it's there's a discontinuity of teaching and that kind of stuff and i you know i i, I like i think i even mentioned this with the um the Galileo thing we were talking about last time. It's like, even if you can like pull like one particular statement out of a Pope or, or, you know, a, a, uh, a church, an, an office that's governed by the Pope or whatever. And you say, Oh, that one particular statement is wrong within the, you know, a, a specific context. It's, that's yeah. not really how the, uh, you know, the, in fa- the general infallibility, what, what we call the ordinary magisterial infallibility of the church works. It, you know, things, it, you look at the, the, the longstanding teaching of the church. Um, and so that, that doesn't really perturb me at that. But, but of course, back then, I, you know, I had a lot more of a legalistic approach to thinking about those kinds of things. And but it, it did bother me. If you, if you have a pope who says something and defines it as doctrine and it goes against what has been previously declared as doctrine, well, even that one statement would be problematic. It would be. Wouldn't we, it? And, and, you know, yes. And, and I believe, you know, it's, like I said last week, I believe Galileo's affair was like the closest the church has ever come to that, or at least five years ago I would have said that. Right. I think with some of the things that the the current pope is coming out with, you, you know, especially like like his, you know, for example, the thing about the death penalty. Okay, he didn't really define it as a doctrine. He just directed that the catechism be rewritten, right? In a so way it's like... that makes the catechism now basically heretical. But he didn't quite take it to that point where, you know, Vatican One defined okay it defined like a a set of circumstances in which the pope himself in the office of the papacy is infallible not just in union with bishops or anything like that but in himself well the the current pope has not entered into that sort of inner sanctum of of the execution of his office to define something that's heretical at, right at, like, at this point <laughs> it's like instead of defining a teaching he commanded us to teach something yeah, that was yeah, heretical that, but that kind of a weird sort of exactly exactly um so uh but dignitatis humani is a different kind of animal because it's a council document that is a uh, you know, it was endorsed by the Pope and, and it had a number of signatories among the, the, the bishops who attended the council. It's also in a, a, a kind of, in fact, all of the council documents in this sense are a bit of an odd duck in this sense. The documents themselves within their internal wording might seem to indicate that their intention is to define something or to at least develop the doctrinal definition of certain things. Which documents are you talking about? Vatican II? Uh, Yes, Vatican II, specifically. However, uh, I think, and I haven't looked up the the quote, I'll have to go find that. If if somebody writes into our podcast and says, hey, you were quoting things without sources, I'll go find the source. But anyway, um, I think Pope Paul VI... uh, basically said that there was no 
doctrinal uh, development or statements in Vatican II. Nothing was defined right. new in Vatican II. Because he so said that it was kind of a pastoral, a pastoral council only. Exactly. So it, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where you you look at some of the things and it's like, wow, it looks like they're being dogmatic here, but then you've got the words of the Pope that no, they're not really being dogmatic. So, you know, and and John the twenty third started the council, um, and I think I'm going to go ahead and check this timeline up. Um, well, while you're doing that, um, you know, it, it, it's almost like it's almost like a like a you've got the teacher in the class who makes all the rules and then she has to leave and she says, all right, uh, Joe here's in charge until I get back. Meaning he's going to, he's going to tattle on you if you break the rules. Yeah. And suddenly right. Joe starts walking around and saying, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. And it's like, well, you don't really have the authority to do that. And she didn't really give you the authority to do that. You're just saying it and you say it in a way that makes it sound like we have to do it, but we don't really have to do it. It's kind of like that. It kind of like that. In fact, yeah, and this is what I was looking up. So, so John the 23rd convoked the council, but Paul the sixth is who presided over its, um, the closing of the council. And it's Paul the sixth, um, in, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but endorsement of the council documents that applies. And so yeah. since he himself said these are not doctrinal documents the the council was not a doctrinal council then that's what should you know apply in our treatment of them in terms of okay what what are they really supposed to indicate so anyway that that's just kind of a sort of a background to the the council itself one of the documents that came out of that council is called dignitatis humani which is the you know on human dignity uh, or of human dignity, that is the one that defines what they call religious liberty. And at the very beginning of the document, they say some things that that seem kind of problematic. And when you start working through the document, you get to a point where you're thinking like, okay, well, wait a minute. Everything that was problematic in the beginning and everything that might have been controversial, say, with regards to the traditional church's understanding at the beginning, has just been, like, undermined and, and cut out uh, by by the way that the document developed. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that there's any going to be anything earth-shattering in anybody's spiritual life from this podcast. It's just one of those things that has bugged me, so I want to talk right. about it. <laughs> you know, um, so on. On top of what we were just saying about the council itself and how much authority it had and how much it did or didn't define doctrine, on top of that, we have the benefit of looking back on it. And oh, right. We can see how it developed and what really happened ever since then. And we can see that uh, it did it did a lot of damage, or it seemed to. Yeah. I mean, mean, yeah, we've got a half a century since the council. We can see that the the fruits of the council are not what you would call sweet. <laughs> I yeah, guess, you know, <laughs> uh, they're, they're they're the the fruits of the council itself are pretty rotten when you come right down to it. Um, yeah. So, you know, and and that was one. You know, Jesus said, "By you know, by their fruits you shall know them." As uh, so. 
Um, well, time. You know uh, what? Okay, speak on freedom for a minute, because yeah, I mean, we've always been kind of borderline libertarian, but mm-hmm. a, a, a true libertarian, I think, would say there should be no law. Practically anarchism. Practically, yeah. And that's and 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 it's kind of funny because my alternate, if I couldn't have, if I couldn't pull my thoughts together enough to do this podcast, the there's another thing that I've been thinking like uh, about. I, I've got this like framework of thinking for thinking about. Um, I hate to use the word, but social justice. Yeah. Um, but but this framework that. You know, I, I, I've kind of been thinking through for the last couple of weeks and part of it, like, like a, a small part of it, you know, shows kind of like this concept of obligation that you have towards, you know, you have obligations one to another as human beings, you know, mm-hmm. just the obligations to your fellow man that individually though, that, you know, as you encounter them as individuals, they're, you know, basic obligations of maybe civility and so on and so forth. And then there, but that there are obligations that you have individuals have to the community, not, not just expediences of it's nice if it's nicer if people live this way, but actual obligations and obligations that the community has to the individuals that make up the community. And it was kind of in thinking about this framework that I kind of happened on the thought that the reason I, I'm not really a full libertarian is that I think a libertarian would be someone who just denies that, that arrow of obligation from the individual to the community. Yeah. And I'm not there, I, obviously, and I'm not tending there either, I, you know, but that's, that's the point that I think separates us from real libertarians is that we still believe there's some obligation that we have as individuals to the community. What that, you know, what form that takes and, and how that, uh, compares and, and, uh, gets prioritized and, and put into a hierarchy with other kinds of obligations we might have. Okay, that's something that that when we go and and talk about that with a lot of other people, we may end up looking like libertarians. But yeah. that's what keeps us from being libertarians, in my mind. There's also the it's a very Catholic idea that um, I got to think about this for a second. I was drinking and now I can't. Um. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I'm in the same way. I'm okay. I just I'm going to apologize up front, everybody. Uh, as the ambassador of nonsense, I may be delivering some real nonsense. Um, I haven't had any more to drink than I normally would, but this but is it's good, good Friday. Friday. So you I haven't, haven't eaten, eaten at all? All day. <laughs> well, I normally drink nothing, and now I've had three quarters of a beer. And believe it or not, three quarters of a beer for me is a lot. So mm-hmm. um, I believe it. Uh, let's see. We were talking about the... Uh, obligation a man genuinely has for the community around him right and look the church has always taught that man is a social being and that he he owes something to the people around him and that um this is just part of the human existence if you yeah if you deny these things then you you deny you can't really be a christian you're you're gonna be you're gonna talk man's selfishness is what takes over right and exactly selfishness is not what makes society better man i think sometimes man will choose to do unselfish things but um 
if left to himself, even, even with, if you take away things like social shaming and things like that, I think, um, without some kind of authority saying you should do this, it, it leads us to, it leads us down a path to, to chaos and, and, and well, anarchy. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, that's an important part of raising kids is train them in a sense of obligation to the community. Not, you know, not, not just a sense of, okay, well, I've got my morals and as long as I follow my morals, I don't have any obligation to anybody else. Uh, you know, part of those morals in, should include this, this more sense of belonging and therefore obligation. Because, and this is especially uh, for Catholics, nations will be judged as nations, not just people in nation. Uh, right. In the end, right. uh, communities will be held accountable for the things they do as communities, which means sometimes you have to try to step up and make changes in your community for the better. Right. Even if right. I mean, yeah. You parts don't of the think community that, are fighting. That, I mean, you look at uh, a state like, like, uh, like New York, uh, you know, that, that, you know, puts on public display their extreme abortion, uh, yeah. laws. And you don't think that the Catholics and Christians who live in the state of New York are not going to be called to a higher, high standard of what did you do to make your community, your state into a righteous state? When it was so completely offensive to God, uh, yeah, you know, even showing yeah, up I, at these things with a sign and saying, "Hey, wait a minute, this isn't all of us. This is a couple of people in the uh, State Department making decisions for all of us." But right. um, as a community, many of us reject it because you know it's it was uh, was it, it was Abraham arguing for. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, wasn't it? Who said, "If I can oh, find right. one just man?" Yeah, he said, "Look, I, it, I give me a chance, God. I'll find somebody. Who, you know, you're not going to destroy everybody just for the the sake of a few, right?" And God kept giving him that. Okay, yeah, go ahead, find find fifty, find forty, find thirty. There could have you know, been and so on fifty people there who were quote good people, but they didn't they didn't stand up and try to change the 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 community as a whole, so they lost out. That's if right. Maybe God they judged had, the whole of them. Right. Because because the quote good people didn't do what was good, which would be uh, some formal protest that could be seen and shown that uh to to somehow go against the grain there. You know, that's that's kind of interesting. The the um and an interesting take on the uh the fates of Sodom and Gomorrah that People usually treat it as though there weren't any righteous people in the city, but that's not necessarily, the, the scripture doesn't actually say that. They just say that right. Abraham couldn't find them. And, and that, that makes the point. They may have been there, but by if not there was standing up, some they little got old judged lady along with the rest. Standing in front of a bathhouse saying, hey, this is wrong. Put your clothes on. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah wouldn't have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for her sake. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we should thank God right now for these little old ladies who are standing down in front of abortion clinics in saying, hey, this is wrong. Planned Parenthoods. That's right. Yep. Little old ladies like our mother, I guess, huh? Yeah. 
<laughs> Our mom's been arrested like six times for protesting abortion. Not, and not, uh, <laughs> she's one of the few people left still standing in front of the uh, clinics on Saturday yeah. mornings saying the rosary. Right, um, right. You know, it's 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 and and the long termers. I mean, okay, there's a few that are not, but for the most part, I think the long-termers tend to be Catholics. Yeah. That's that's just an interesting, uh, okay. Now, okay, so we talk about um, freedom itself. There's got to be some kind of law over it, and usually the next question is how is that, who, who decides that law? Is this, uh, and, and where where does that law come from? If we're going to put rules on people... Where should the rules come from? Yeah, that's, you know, well, and that's one of those things. I mean, I, I will not attempt to answer that question here quite mm-hmm. uh, because I think that there's a lot of um, when you look, when you ask that question, uh, first of all, there's the um, you've got the this idea of behaving badly. And I mean, there's there's a million different ways that people can behave badly, but it's not necessary to say that that it's wrong for one person to behave in a particular way is not necessarily equivalent to saying that it's okay for a group of people say his city government or state government to prohibit him from behaving in that way mm-hmm. you, you know what i mean so the fact that you don't you know, you don't nec- you don't really have inherently a right, for example, to do something that's wrong, but that doesn't necessarily give the government the right to prohibit you from doing that. Mm-hmm. And then there's you take one step back from there, and it's like, okay, so you've got these things that that even though there may be questions of right and wrong, the government may not have a right to determine what it's going to enforce as right and wrong uh, on some cases, maybe because it's, you know, in, in order to do so would involve too much, you know, micromanagement and in the individual lives of men. In other cases, it may be because governments as governments um, aren't necessarily competent to determine what's right and wrong. But then there's, there's this broader circle of things where you say, okay, Strictly speaking, a government might have the right to, you know, prohibit this or that, especially if the government was was a very, um, you know, a Christian informed government that had the correct sense of what's right and what's wrong. And it may have the right to then prescribe certain activities, but it might not be necessarily prudent to do so. It, it might be yeah. that. The you know allowing the the um, the 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 general workings and flow of society and allowing the operations of say the church within society, um, it, it's better to back off a little bit on some of those things. Um, the the one I, I don't I don't agree with this example, but the example that uh, I think like Thomas Aquinas uh, people might come up with is that. I think he indicated that there there may be you know circumstances in societies in which it might be permissible to the government officials of that city or state 
to allow, for example, houses of prostitution. Okay, mm-hmm. well, pers- I mean, knowing today what we know about, and I don't think in medieval times this probably wasn't the case as much as it is today, but today knowing what we know about human trafficking and that kind of stuff, uh, right. I, I don't think there's any case anywhere in the world where it's actually, it, it should actually be permissible. I think, I think any government official who actually contributes to or, um, allows, you know, within his, his ability to do so allows it to be, you know, a, a, you know, a, a business or an industry within his, um, you know, scope of, of jurisdiction is offending God in today's environment. But, yeah. but that's an example of, of, you know, there may be things that, okay, you do have the, the, as a government, the well, right to like keep people from doing this. would be uh, a better That example. might be another one. Yeah. Yeah. That could be another, that, that might be one today. It's like, okay, well, um, you, you probably, you know, governments probably have the right to, from a Christian point of view, uh, to, prohibit the sale and distribution of condoms prudentially maybe they might not want to do that even you know from a christian uh analysis of the prudence of doing so you know that's um so there's there's that kind of thing too the thing that one of the things that were the people and any historian in the in the 1200s would still have been able to do this but it seems like now we have an even greater opportunity to look back on when things were suddenly allowable in societies and then to watch what happened the to effect. that society. Yeah, yeah. To see the effects. Exactly. And we see that a lot of the sins that cap- that traditionally Catholics uh, outlawed were sooner or later able to do. Okay, something like divorce. I mean, that was at one time you couldn't get a divorce. <clears throat> and then it got to where you could get a divorce maybe if you had a lot of money and eventually everyone can get a divorce and you look at what we've got now where most kids don't have a real set of parents right yeah and look at what it's doing to society and there's no way you can look at that and say well it, it uh it's because of this or that and it if people would do this then this wouldn't happen no if you if you just eliminated the divorce, then a huge number of problems would not exist. Yeah. Now yeah. you would have and occasionally you would have women who are battered and or kids maybe who even are battered. Children. Yeah. But that's that's. But now look at how you women still are have treated that. and how kids are treated. Yeah. You you haven't solved the one problem and you've created a whole lot more problems. Right. That exactly. That that's. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I I think that there are. I think people in the in the 12th and 13th centuries might have had a harder time. I don't I don't think they would have had as much data and I don't think they would have had as easy access to the kind of data to be able to to do. You know, we Yeah, we're a more, numbers society. Exactly. I was going to say it's it's kind of more of a modern thing to become so obsessed with with numbers and statistics um <clears throat> to where you can analyze things like that. Um, mm-hmm. they had to, in the 13th and 12th centuries, they had to do a lot more of analyzing, um, things in the, I guess in the, in the objects of the acts themselves and, and okay, wait a minute, is yeah. this a good thing? And what could it, 
lead to? And is that, you know, it, is the the uh, the situation that it could ameliorate more serious than the situation that it could cause? And, you know, a lot of more uh, hypothetical right. speculative. What's interesting is how often the conclusions that they came up with in terms of, of the, the moral conclusions um, for public policy and so on and so forth um, kind of are borne out in our modern statistics driven. It's like you could almost yeah. use the statistics from modern times to go back and, and uphold and prove the, the moral judgments from the middle ages. Yeah. Okay. So we've got popes through the ages uh, let's see, Pope Gregory and I get, you know, for a long time, something like religious liberty wasn't even a consideration. Yeah. Um, no, is it the same way capital punishment was not a consideration? We just, yeah, of course you put criminals to death. What else would you do with them? Um, right. <clears throat> and governments were Catholic or Protestant or pagan. And so naturally the laws would reflect that, but, Mm -hmm. Uh, starting in like 1832 with Gregory, the XV, uh, 16th. Um, and we got something from 1864, 1888, 1953. All of them, uh, seem to reject the idea of civil religious liberty. Right. Right. And so that's, that's what kind of, you know, I, I, I look at the concept of a, call it a right to religious freedom. And I came up with three models that uh, of that right that, that you could kind of uh, ascribe to. One of them is, is what I call the irresponsible model. And it's the idea that everybody has the right to act in the fulfillment of their own religious observances, even when those actions violate the broader sensibilities of the society or even violate the law as the law might otherwise apply, but then you have to suspend the law if, if in, you know, when it comes to specific religious observances. Right. We've and got that going on a lot. We have that. I mean, that's like, you know, the, I, I think the big, um, the court case that, that kind of like really sort of opened the door for that was, was something where, I mean, there was a law against, um, what's that cactus? Uh, I think it's a cactus chemical thing like peyote that's what it is the the american indian based oh, american okay. indian like version of pot, basically yeah or maybe not even maybe stronger than pot maybe but anyway peyote mm -hmm. um so i mean it was you know outlawed but then in, as some part of american indian religious ritual they have to smoke this peyote pipe whatever and the supreme court ended up ruling that because it was a religious lip, uh ritual they had to be allowed to do it it's like okay well what other things are you going to say, well, this is against the law, but if it's part of a religious observance, well, then you have to be allowed to do it. Right. Uh, you it, know, it got uh, to the you point know, of, uh, you know, I, I just wanna, absurdity when yeah, you've got my like religious prisoners observance is who to say, slaughter, I need conjugal visits. Or, well, from my, and, and some of the uh, prison systems are bowing down to that, allowing conjugal visits because this prisoner has to have them as part of his religion. For a religious thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, what if somebody is, you know, somebody could claim that part of his religious observance is to, you know, 
sacrifice chickens in the public square and 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 sprinkle the blood on on naked acolytes or something like that. Okay, yeah, you know. Okay, well, uh, it's a religious observance. You have to allow it, right? I, you know, that's so. That's the the irresponsible. It's the one that says, okay, well, whatever it is that that your particular religious beliefs say that you should do, you should be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, it's kind of when I look at dignitatis humani if you look at the the very like it's it's part two that it a lot of the vatican documents are uh divided into to parts each part has a few paragraphs um but part two um says this vatican council declares that the human person has a right to religious freedom now listen to this this freedom means that all men are to be immune from coercion on the part of individuals or of social groups and of any human power in such wise power. that in such wise that no one is to be forced to act in a manner contrary to his own beliefs whether privately or publicly whether alone or in association with others now it's the, a pretty the, wide blanket the qualifying statement is within due limits which is weird. It's like, okay, wait a minute. What is that? Now I'll get back to that in a minute because that, because that almost seems to be like the very definition of what I'm calling the irresponsible view of religious freedom. Um, and yeah, the, the second view of religious freedom is what I'm calling the gilded view of religious freedom. You know what gilding means, right? You know, castration, you know, like animal, like a gilded horse, a gilding would be a horse that's been castrated. Okay. So the, the the gilded view of religious freedom is basically that everybody has the right to act according to his religious observance within the bounds of law and expectation of society. And only in the interior, he has the right to act upon whatever beliefs he has. But externally, his rights end at the right of society to make whatever laws they make. So this is basically the religious freedom. This is like the Obama religious freedom that... You remember Obama basically lied to Cardinal Dolan. He told Cardinal Dolan, oh, we're not going to put birth control onto the mandatory coverage for insurance because we know that would violate the consciences of Christians. Well, he lied, and he intended to do it all along, and he went ahead and did it. And then he and his various liberal Democrat acolytes, including, you know, Catholic senators and stuff, said, well, we're not— asking anybody to violate your conscience. Why? Because you can believe whatever you want to believe. Okay, well, that's yeah. a gilded sense of religious freedom. That That is, you know, just the... the it's a disgustingly weak concept of religious freedom. Because the practice and, of religion is a public thing. It's not... Exactly. exactly. It's not just something you believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that... Dignitatis Humani actually does bring up in the document, it, and and this is one of the things that it's um, that I would commend. Um, it says the uh, freedom uh, of or immunity from coercion of matters religious uh, is to be recognized as a person's right when they act in community. Religious communities are a requirement of social nature, both of man and religion itself. Uh, in addition, it comes within the meaning of religious freedom that religious communities should not be prohibited from freely undertaking to show the special value of their doctrine in what concerns the organization of society and inspiration of the whole of human activity. 
So the doc, I mean, now, so now you're saying, okay, they're very definitely in Dignitatis Humanae not doing the gilded version of religious freedom. They're saying that this applies in public and as a social activity, um, which kind of then brings you back to the, well, gee, are they doing the irresponsible version of religious liberty? Because it really sounds like they are. Um, so, yeah. you know, uh, and there's an inter- it, it's it, there's two things in that, that definition I read. It <laughs> says, you know, no one is to be forced to act in a manner contrary to his own beliefs, which to me is a very broad permissive scope. And then whether alone in or association with others within due limits, which is vague and ambiguous. But then they go on to say, it is in accordance with their dignity as persons, that is, beings endowed with reason and free will and therefore privileged to bear personal responsibility, that all men should be at once impelled by nature and bound by a moral obligation to seek the truth, especially religious truth. They are also bound to adhere to the truth once it is known and to order their whole lives in accord with the demands of truth. However, they cannot fully discharge these obligations in a manner in keeping with their own nature unless they enjoy the immunity from external coercion as well as psychological freedom. Therefore, the right to religious freedom has its foundation not in the subjective disposition of the person, but in his very nature. In consequence, the right to this immunity continues to exist even in those who do not live up to their obligation of seeking the truth and adhering to it. And then they have another uh, backpedal clause, uh, provided that the just public order be observed. Now, to me, that sounds like, if I really look at that, it's like if I ignore the previous paragraph about no one being compelled to act in a manner contrary to his own beliefs, this paragraph sounds like you have the right to seek and adhere to the truth and your right to seek and adhere to the truth continues even if you don't seek and adhere to the truth. But there is only one truth and that's the truth as understood, as taught by the Catholic Church. So this kind of brings up the question, does this concept inform the due limits from above? Then maybe due limits include that regardless of a person living up to his obligation, his beliefs are consonant with seeking the truth. And then I, you know, it, it leads me to ask if one's own thoughts aren't the result of living up to a moral obligation to seek the truth. In other words, Religious liberty says you have to be free to act according to your own beliefs. But if you personally are not acting in an obligation to seek the truth, if instead you're concocting a system of beliefs that merely serves your own desires, then are those really your own beliefs? Can they even be included in that description of religious liberty if that's how you're doing it? So just right. kind of a question that comes into play there. So we get on to part three of Dignitatis Humanae, and it says on his part, man perceives and acknowledges the imperatives of the divine law through the mediation of conscience. Okay, so now they're bringing this concept of conscience into it. It follows that he is not to be forced to act in a manner contrary to his conscience. All right, so the document itself doesn't actually define conscience, but... The a lot of times 
in in modern times especially people like to define conscience as oh conscience is that sort of interior movement that makes me want to do one thing rather than another it's it's that sense of what i ought to be doing and you know that sense of of what i'm allowed to do as well that's my conscience but that's not what conscience is in the tradition of catholic thinking conscience is a act of reason by which we apply general principles of morality to specific situations. So, you know, when when we know that it's wrong to steal, that's the that's the general principle and, you know, we're we're looking at a uh you know, somebody dropped a uh a $20 bill out of their um purse while they were putting their groceries away and they didn't notice it and that act of reasoning by which we say oh to just grab that and hold on to it which is justly theirs is an act of stealing and that's wrong and therefore we shouldn't do that that's what conscience is conscience isn't just that interior movement of hey i feel like i ought to do this or i feel like i ought to be allowed to do that because so, uh that's where we've we've come up with uh psychopaths and different yeah. uh neurological bleh. Different disorders that uh, wherein men, quote, don't have a conscience. But if they have reason, right. they do have a conscience. Yeah. like And uh, they are still capable of getting to heaven. Yeah, exactly. Just by That's, following I, what they reasonably know is good. Right, right. There's a, a, a kid that um, uh, my son listens to, a, a I, I say a kid, everybody who's under 30 is a kid to me, so... I hope yeah. nobody who hears this takes offense. Um, but there's a guy that, that my son listens to, um, who is, he's not Catholic, but he's a Christian. The thing is, he is a diagnosed sociopath. Um, but that, you know, psychological, uh, perhaps neurological disorder doesn't keep him from recognizing and applying the truth of the Christian faith. Yeah. And that's an ex- a perfect example of what you were just saying. Um, another one that I, I um, it's kind of funny. You, you, I mean, once in a while, Hollywood comes up with things that even if on the overall uh, trend, they don't really, you know, the, there's obviously nothing intentionally Christian about them. But have you ever watched any of the episodes of the series called Dexter? No, I think I watched the, like the first one or two. We stopped watching. Is that oh, that, okay. that 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 uh, psycho killer who kills other psycho people? killers? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I I, right. I saw like half the first episode. Okay, okay. So he and and he he is a um, yeah, he's a sociopath and a serial killer. He only kills other serial killers. Um, his dad kind of recognizing and and by the way there this this could you know where this ended up is not a acceptable valid christian approach and i don't want anybody to hear me say that it is this this isn't where i'm going with this but uh you learn through the series that his dad seeing his you know uh problem kind of the way he was worked to embed in him a code which served as the higher level principles and guidance by which okay. he would moderate and direct and channel those, you know, 
particular uh, psychopathic uh, needs that he had. I'm, I'm kind of putting it into mm-hmm. the parlance of the, the show itself. But it's interesting because that's exactly what conscience is. He was given a code. He understood the code. The code was general and he used it and he applied it to specific circumstances such that when he did execute his various, um, you know, deeds of, uh, of homicide, uh, they were in a, at least within the structures, according to the code justified and he stayed within that code. He didn't stray. Well, guess what? He's exercising conscience. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not a well-informed conscience necessarily because it does allow him to kill people, even if those people are already killers themselves, but it is a conscience. So the thing yeah. is, this document then brings conscience into the discussion. It says that no one is to be restrained from acting in accordance with his conscience, especially in matters religious. But if conscience is the mechanism by which we apply principles of truth to the specific circumstances, then couldn't we ask and couldn't we sort of charge this document, Dignitatis Humanae, uh, with the question of, doesn't that imply that an individual in question has been successful in uncovering the general principles of truth? So now you're back to this concept of you have a right to live rightly if if you read it that way well, which is you know what i mean yeah it kind of goes i mean i've always looked at religious liberty in this way without it uh catholics are going to be thrown in prison. persecutor yeah thrown to the lions exactly that's always what happened it's what's happening right now right i mean not it, it, it's happening in other countries right now, and it's on its yes. way in America. Into America, now, yes, absolutely. starting to sound crazy, but, I mean, it's on its way because there are certain things Catholics can't do. For example, have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, or perform an abortion. Right. And, or in, in some cases, you might even say sell contraception. Right. There are people losing their license because they wouldn't sell contraceptions. There are pharmacists who would lose their license if they didn't uh, sell the morning after pill. Right, exactly. Those kinds of things, um, religious liberty doesn't really count for much if that's what's happening, because then there's no religious liberty. If I can't, if I can't practice my religion because someone else doesn't like it, then there is no religious liberty. So all your all the talk about letting religions be, letting people follow their consciences doesn't really amount to much when good people can't follow their conscience. Right. And right. that well, seems that's, to that's be the way exactly. society tends um, when we start talking about religious liberty. The more liberal the state becomes, the less freedom a Catholic has. Yeah, exactly. It's And, and it's kind of weird because it's like the more liberty is given to acting in ways that are neither religious nor right. And the less liberty is given to acting in ways that are religious and right. I I think it was Chesterton who said something like the uh, religious liberty is there for the, so that men can choose to do good. It's not yeah. there so that men can choose to do bad. Right. 
but we we turn it around in in today's society to where men can choose to do bad, but good men uh, are choose. prohibited from doing good. Right. Exactly. That's so. And that kind of um, I think that kind of feeds into my last part. So so you know I've gone in part two and part three. And and I'm not going to talk about the whole document. It's it you know it's it's not a long document. It's it's worth reading, um, but it's I, I no I take that back. It's not worth reading if if you're really into this stuff and you want to analyze it in light of tradition. Um, then it's or worth if you want to have a, a discussion, it's worth picking apart. Yeah, at a party but, or something, and you want to sound smart, <laughs> then go ahead and read it so that you can recall certain. Well, it says this. <laughs> Yeah. So in part seven, it says the right to religious freedom is exercised in human society. Hence, its exercise is subject to cert- certain regulatory norms in the use of all freedoms. The moral principle of personal and social responsibility is to be observed in the exercise of their rights. Individual men and social groups are bound by the moral law to respect both the rights of others and for their own duties towards others and for the common welfare of all. Men are to deal with their fellows in justice and civility. Okay, that presupposes, in my mind, an undergirding existing, a kind of a a priori, a priori before the construction of laws that might enact religious freedom, a basic religious understanding, or at least a basic understanding of what is the truth and what is good. And so it's more like, you know, it's, what if your beliefs don't compel you to deal with your fellows in justice and civility, for example? Um, but Dignitatis Humanae is stating right there that there has to be a grounding in a preconceived or at least higher conceived notion of what is acceptable as a conscious as a conscientious act in religious matters. And it says, furthermore, society has the right to defend itself against possible abuses committed on the pretext of freedom of religion. So the limits of religious well, freedom mean anything. are understood within reference. It says, if the special duty, it is the special duty of government to provide this protection. However, government is not to act in an arbitrary fashion or in an unfair spirit of partisanship. Its action is to be controlled by the juridical norms, which are in conformity with the objective moral order. So the limits on religious freedom are understood in reference to the objective moral order. As and where expressed... do we get the objective moral order? Well, here's the thing. This comes <laughs> to, to my third understanding of religious freedom. I've talked about the irresponsible one that everybody can act as however they want, as long as it's in part of a religious observance the gilded one which is everybody can believe whatever they want as long as they don't act in a way that that offends people outside and the traditional one which says the catholic faith is the true faith revealed by god everyone has the right to the freedom to pursue that truth and to act in accordance with that truth as discovered which is exactly back to what we every you know every catholic believed before vatican ii yeah the so I, is that I, I think I, I this think document, you, I, I don't know. I feel like this document is a worthless document. <laughs> it Other seems than, like a lot of Vatican II documents you can go through this way because they mm-hmm. leave these little hangers in there like yeah. that, you know? 
you know, I'm looking for the quote again. Uh, proper guardianship of public morality. Oh, Need for right. proper guardianship of pu- public morality. Well, what is that? I mean, that could be anything. And generally, if you're Catholic, you're going to uh, translate that to mean the Catholic Church. Right. Um, the thing is, to talk about this today in uh, 2020 in in an American society is, it's almost laughable. To think that maybe the Catholic Church ought to be making our laws, um, you can't even bring it up. No, no. But... And I I think maybe we ought to do a podcast about American liberty and how it was different from all the other liberties. I mean, I I think we should. The liberty to to choose your your faith in Canada is a lot different from the liberty to choose your faith in America. Mm -hmm. Because a Canadian can't, say, preach against homosexuality. That's a hate crime. Exactly. That's right. In American law, there's, I mean, you know, the very concept of a hate sign, hate crime is anathema to the American understanding of human rights. Right. I'm allowed to hate people. Yeah. Um, it's just, if you're going to go with the, if you're going to go with the American concept, then you got to allow me to hate people. I'm allowed. And, and the thing is, we've been slowly changing the way we we uh look at these things and it, it seems to be tending towards the uh the thought crime um you know the 1984 version yeah kind of an orwellian sense of at uh, first it was it was social but it's becoming law now right little by right. little and for a while i thought for the past couple of years i thought maybe that's going to turn around um you know, with with Trump coming out and tra- and and just pouncing all these uh, these uh, political uh, speech activists and, oh, right. and saying all the things we're not supposed to say, and I thought, well, maybe maybe we're going to go back to the old ways where I'm allowed to hate people if I want. <laughs> yeah. um, but I I don't. You never know. I don't know what's going on right now. I mean. With the COVID nineteen stuff, I I just yeah, it's kind like of everything is on hold now. anyway. Yeah, I, I like all the things I thought are are looking like maybe I was wrong. I yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. That's that's. I mean, you you've got at at the very least, you have to admit that the whole COVID nineteen thing has thrown even. It's a curveball even for for Trump, no matter what his intentions are. It's a curveball, and he has to figure out how to deal with it. And it's not something that you can expect him to necessarily figure that out, you know, in real time with in just a couple of weeks. He has to, you know, you got to give him a chance. Uh, yeah. He did just he did just you know uh, announce this uh, task force on reopening the company or the company reopening the country. Um, Is this? Is this bringing us to to current events? You know, I wonder if it is. Are you maybe. done? Because I I kind of got through my dignitatis humanae. I uh you know I gave my three models of okay. religious freedom, and I said, well, if you really analyze it in in all of its text, the third one is the one that you understand it as, which means it's basically nothing new. So 
Yeah, same thing we've yeah. always taught. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Look, Trump has always. Uh, I, I can't. I, I I don't know how to say this. I'm I'm really disappointed in him. I thought of him as one way, and the way he's dealt with this COVID nineteen thing has been the way I would have expected George Bush or even Obama to deal with it, or Clinton or anyone else. There's this group of of experts telling him. He's got a shot. We didn't elect them as experts. I didn't vote for him. Yeah. I don't, but I did find one way, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but I got to flesh this out. Um, I did find one way, maybe, maybe this is what he's doing. Um, because it, it doesn't make sense. He knows they're, they've been wrong about every single prediction they've made. None of the numbers that they talked about have come true. Why are we even, why are they ever on TV? Why aren't we making fun of them? Why aren't they on <laughs> yeah. Saturday Night Live? These experts. Exactly. Right. They're yeah. idiots. They've been wrong about yep. everything. And they keep bringing us new numbers. And then we treat the new numbers as if they're gospel. That doesn't make any sense. And it would be one thing if it was just them. But Trump is listening to them. And he keeps mm-hmm. he keeps giving them the spotlight and letting them talk. He didn't do this with anyone else. Why is he doing this? And I thought, well, maybe he lied to us. Maybe he is a, uh, maybe he wanted to get the entire country behind him before, I, I don't know, lowering the axe and, and enacting this socialist state, which seems like what's going on here. Um, and I thought of one thing this week that might explain it. And I, I don't know if it does explain it. And I, I wouldn't say that it excuses it, but I think maybe, Maybe this is what's going on. Um, from the very start, Trump has said we should not be relying on China for all, for everything that's made here. For our yeah. medicine, for our, our automobiles, for our steel, for our electronics. This stuff should not be made in China. First of all, because China is our enemy and we should not be giving them money. Second of all, we should not be giving them our manufacturing secrets. And third of all, because we should not rely on, on them for anything. Right. We should be making this stuff here in America. We have the people. We have the uh, natural resources. We have everything we need to make all these things. There's no reason we should ever get anything from another country. Well, especially I not guess, China. <clears throat> kinda. Yeah, especially not yeah. China, who hates us we, and who yeah, wants well, to take control of us. We don't need to get any us. necessities from from other countries. Right. When when Reagan or uh, when Lincoln. St- started trying to rebuild the country it was his idea that that we should make all these things ourselves we should not be getting them we should not be importing them Mm -hmm. and he would set up he would make it it's not like he himself came in and and created industries but he made laws so that uh manufacturers could go to places where the raw materials existed and set up their industries and start making things. So that's why you've got certain areas in the United States, even though we can, we can, uh, ship this stuff all over the world, we've got certain areas that seem to be more or less dedicated to certain industries. Right, right. And that changed with people like Kissinger who decided we're going to start dealing with China again. Um, but Trump seems to be against all of that throughout his entire campaign. And Obama said these industries aren't coming back. 
you know, we, I, I, I heard him say it. There, a guy asked him in a, in a, in a, in a campaign. It was like a town hall meeting. He said, what about my job that did this or manufactured this? Are you going to bring these back? And I heard him say, hey, the job's gone. You can't bring them job back. What are you going to do? Hey, wave magic wand? And he's making fun of Trump. Oh, and my. Trump did it. Trump yeah, did wow. it. Yep. He brought the jobs back. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. These manufacturers, I think a lot of them would like to come back to the U.S., but at this point, all the people who could have worked for them have found other ways to make money. And so now what they're fighting for is uh, workers. Oh, If they right. want to come back to the U.S., there's two solutions. One, somehow convince American workers to go work for them, or two import the Amer- workers from Mexico and other places. Right. Which we've already decided which, we're against. Which, yeah. I mean, you can import some labor, but it makes it makes usury easy when you import huge blocks of labor like that. Right. It makes it too easy for uh, I mean, it is take advantage slavery. Of, right. Mhm. Yeah. You kind so, of create a slave class. It would be better if we found a way to get Americans to do these jobs. But Americans already have jobs. What if right now what Trump is doing is allowing the governors to make stupid mistakes and he is telling them you need to open up the country, you need to open up the country, you need to open up the country. He's saying that, but he's allowing everybody he's to make stupid it. mistakes. Right. And, you know, here in Ohio, I don't care what Mike DeWine does at this point. A lot of businesses have ended because of his decisions. Yeah. A lot of people are going to be unemployed permanently now because of him. Same thing with Holcomb in Indiana. Yeah. Directly responsible. Mm -hmm. But what is here suddenly is a workforce. Yep. Yep. We've got a workforce now who are hungry for jobs. All we need is manufacturers to come in and say, we're going to put a factory here. What if Trump is allowing that to happen? Well, could be. So that nothing is made in China anymore. Everything's made in here. Well, not everything, everything, but, you know. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, all the important stuff. I mean, we would still get Trotska from China, you know, little knickknacks and whatnot. That's one way I can make sense of all this. Could be. Could be. I don't know if it's true, but. Whether it's true or not, I mean, yeah, that certainly could be. I honestly, you know, you know, I got to think, um, cause like, you know, my, I, I kind of like take it as a, a, a scaling aspect with my job. You know, my job, I'm, um, you know, by training, you know, engineer <clears throat> and most of my career are software engineer and I manage software projects, uh, as well. Well, you know, it's like, okay, in the last couple of weeks, I've spent all of my time just on managing different aspects of this one software project. Um, that in, you know, it includes, uh, trying to get the, um, the, the team that report to me to stay on track and do the right thing. It includes, you know, having discussions with the client and, and trying to keep them happy and includes shuffling documents back and forth between them to get signatures in place for regulatory reasons and stuff like that. And it's like mm-hmm. a full-time job just doing that, leaving practically no time for 
any kind of long-term thought or planning. Um, I can imagine that the president of the United States, you know, if I think of that in terms of two weeks and I think of him in terms of two months with the whole United States, okay, I, I still feel like even if you couldn't have come up with that scenario that you did, I feel like it would be unreasonable to, to draw conclusions at this time about him being either ineffective or have, have, uh, you know, um, disingenuous, you know, about who he was as he was campaigning, campaigning and stuff. I feel like this is too much of a curveball to, to be able to say, Okay, based on what he's done in the last two months, I'm going to make judgments about him. I, I just yeah. don't feel like we can do that. However, your scenario is is a uh, reasonable one. I, you know, it, it actually it, it fits a lot with uh, both things that he has said and things that have been going on. Yeah, I, I guess, you know what, it boils down to what I said last week. Um, I, we don't have anyone else. So we may as well stay behind Trump. Go all in. Because, yeah. Yep. I mean, so far he's done everything he said he would. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been real so far. He's been, uh, you know, what you see is what you get so far. I'm not willing to give that up yet. Right. All right. On to the news. Uh, YouTube has, to, has said it will remove videos promoting a conspiracy linking 5G to COVID-19. The 5G, like, like 5G, uh, conference the of bandwidth. nations? Oh, 5G bandwidth? Yeah, somehow there's a conspiracy theory that links 5G to COVID-19. Oh, they should let that go just for the entertainment value. Yeah, I would think so, but <laughs> in, uh... The fact that they're suppressing it makes me suspicious. <laughs> As silly as that is. <laughs> it kind of makes you, well, uh, wait a minute, you're giving some credence to this. Um, exactly. At, at least four phone masts, or the, the, the giant towers or whatever, or the, not giant towers, because they don't have giant towers for these. Uh, four of the towers were set on fire. Oh and, my, uh, seriously? Engineers okay, are being threatened in that's uh, why they're UK doing that. cities. Okay, I, I get that. That's, that's, I, I guess people are going kind of nuts over it. That is really nuts. I mean, you know, that's worse than the Corona beer connection that people, right. which was stupid in itself. I yeah. mean, how idiotic do you have to be? And I thought that I thought that was a joke when people were yeah, saying, "Oh too. yeah, people have stopped buying Corona beer," and it's like, "Oh yeah, that's funny." But apparently it's real. <clears throat> yeah. It was real. Um, Ho- hopefully it's, I, hopefully guess, I don't know. I don't, hmm. Maybe we give people too much credit. I don't know. But it, it says that it's in UK cities that, that people are being threatened. So maybe it's not, it's a, it's a UK thing. Maybe you know? it's a UK thing. Well, you know, it's like, I, I, I keep going back. Anytime something stupid like that happens in the UK, I keep going back to what can you expect from a country where you have to buy a license to watch TV. Right. That's, you know, it's like, okay, that that's what they are. Do you have to right? buy a license to visit a uh, brothel in the UK? A brothel? I don't know. Is that, do they have We were legal, talking about the uh, brothels brothel thing? in, I, I thought there were in parts of the UK. That's interesting. I don't know. Uh, 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 oh, well. 
I, you know, I could do the research and, and, you know, then my wife might find the research on my computer sometime because I don't hide, you know, what I do and trying to figure out about visiting brothels in the UK. We're planning <laughs> at some point in time to take a trip. We were to going the UK. there, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's also a, uh, there were, uh, protesters in Ivory Coast, which is, uh, somewhere in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, they dismantled a COVID-19 testing center uh, because they thought it would spread the virus through their district. Oh, wow. Hey, people are kind of going nuts with this. And I... Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just left scratching my head over all of this. I just can't believe people are taking it this seriously when we look at the number of deaths. It's so small. Yeah. Compared yeah. to... Even the flu. It's smaller than the flu right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The COVID. I don't know. COVID, stupid 19. It, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's like, <clears throat> like okay. the virus makes people stupid. Yeah. Or the thought of the, the virus. The thought of the virus. People... Yeah, the virus itself doesn't. It's the thought of the virus makes people stupid. Yeah. Now, uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned Governor Tony Evers' order. To postpone tomorrow's primary election. Well, I guess this was uh, April seventh. Uh, oh, okay, okay. So he wanted to postpone so the primaries. Supreme Court. He said, wanted to postpone nope. the primaries, and the Supreme Court overturned him. Now, in uh, Dewine postponed the primaries, and I haven't heard of them happening now at all. But. Uh, he got a court order not to postpone them, and he did anyway. Oh, like a, but now like a district court? Hmm. Right. The question is, will this be brought to the Ohio Supreme Court, and will he uh, suffer any consequences for yeah, well, having ignored the courts? Yeah, what will the remedy be if, you know, because he did ignore the, the court order? Yeah, that's... I mean, a lot of times, you know, Trump would do things, and then some some... A stupid little judge would say, no, you can't do that. And instead of just ignoring the judge, Trump would fight it until it got to the Supreme Court, and then he would have that judge overruled or yeah. overturned. Right. DeWine did not do that. DeWine just ignored the judge. Yeah. yeah that'd be interesting to see how that plays so out. So I wonder what's going to happen there. I, I can't really say what I'm hoping for there, because I'm <laughs> on the one hand, I don't think these insignificant judges should be able to make decisions for everybody on the other hand uh trump's been playing by the rules and the wine is not yeah and i don't think the uh primary should have been postponed i think that's silly but uh i guess well that's in wisconsin we'll see what happens in ohio now all right yep uh uh, do you know that george pell do you, have he you was released. The case of, yes, Australia, yeah. Cardinal George Pell. He was released. Yeah, that's uh, finally. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> now, uh, there's like a billion other bishops out there who need to be arrested, so we'll have to wait for the other side of that <laughs> justice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, that was such a surreal, inc- the, the whole thing was so surreal that, I mean, when, yeah. you know, if I I don't know you know if if you've read some of the summaries of of the evidence and and that kind of stuff, but it was like 
you know. I heard I I listened to half of a radio show about it and it's one of those things that you, you just get frustrated because I can't do anything about it and yeah. it just you know this injustice is happening and you can't do anything so it's like I I, I got to stop listening cuz it, it reminds me of Father Durger here in Cincinnati oh who mm-hmm. was um were you there at the baptism where Which? he did something funny you weren't there. I wasn't there, but I heard about it. <laughs> Father Durger is a giant man. Yeah. Think, yep. think Thomas Aquinas. He's also brilliant. Really right. smart. Okay. Um, he knows most things that I'll, or he's forgotten most things that I'll never learn. Right. Um, and he, he was accused of something by this one, I think it was one person mostly. Mm-hmm. And the things he was accused of, like that he had he'd gone up into the ceiling and and gotten through the vents to peek down on the girls in the girls' bathroom. Wow! This I guy would that. not have. Oh th- man! That was one of the kinds of and that couldn't have happened. Uh, yeah, it, it couldn't yeah, have that, happened. Yeah, this guy that's was like huge. an absurdity. Yeah. So uh, the bishop took him out. He had been the the pastor at St. Bernard's for a long time. He did a great job. I thought he did a great job. Um, and the bishop took him out. And uh, while he was out, he said he's going to be out of office until after pending the investigation. During this investigation, he dies oh, of heart failure. Right. And people came to him and said, okay, he's dead now. What about the investigation? He said, well, what about it? And they said, shouldn't you finish this? Yeah, exonerate. At him. least to clear his good name. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he's guilt, he's innocent and proven until proven guilty anyway. And I thought, well, that's just that not true because you took him work. at you. Not in the that's court of not, public doesn't work opinion. at all. Yeah. Right. Besides the fact that he wasn't innocent. You, you pulled him. Yeah. You took away his parish. You, you didn't treat him as innocent until proven guilty. And more than taking away his parish, he took away our pastor. Yeah, that's right. And it was, uh, I believe that was Archbishop Daniel. Uh, it was either Polarchic or Daniel. I don't remember. Uh-huh. Um, okay. It had to be Daniel. Polarchic was gone for a long time. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. We, you know, we got some space stuff going on. Um, oh, really? Let's see. I the love comet. space stuff. C-2019-Y4, Atlas, appears to have disintegrated. There's a comet that, uh, I guess, uh, we had seen in 2019, uh, the Y4 comet, and it looks like it's gone now. We'll never see it again. I don't know what kind of, uh, orbit that had. Like, maybe it was only one that would visit us every 5,000 years anyway, but we'll never see it again. But they... Um, how how did they figure? I don't out know. It how did they know it just disintegrated? I don't know. Huh? Uh, but they're saying it's gone. Okay. Let me see if I see. I already closed all this. I closed my window on that. Um. So there's a there's a European probe called Bepi Colombo, and it was doing gravity assist orbits around Earth, and it's done its final one. Uh, for, you might call them slingshots. They're okay. not a slingshot, but, uh, and now it's on its way to Venus where it will do several more. Oh, okay. Uh, 
And then finally, it'll, it's supposed to get to Mercury by, uh, 2025. I don't know how close that's going to fly into Mercury, but, uh, anything that could be in orbit around Mercury, uh, is pretty impressive. Yeah. Cause that's so I mean, close to the sun. Like, yeah. It's right there. <clears throat> um, Donald Trump signed an executive order encouraging U.S. companies to mine the moon for minerals. Okay. I don't know what kind of minerals could be on the moon, but it would be neat if, like, we could find gold on the moon. Yeah, well... Can or, you imagine that? I mean, that, Well, gold would be nice, but I'm thinking more like manufacturing mineral, minerals. Right. Because, you know, that's really, you know, you think of, um, you know, people have been talking about, a, like, a space force... Um, but that's really what it should be about is, is kind of establishing more of a commercial manufacturing dominance in space. That's, that's what would actually make space travel, uh, well, possible. Yeah. I mean, it, that's what would drive it. The government saying we're going to go to the moon, that doesn't really drive it did drive innovation, a lot of innovation. I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, shouldn't NASA, downplay that. NASA really did, yeah, innovate a lot. But you want to see fast innovation? That I, I mean, if anything out in space could be harnessed for profit, you'd see some amazing things happen really fast. Right. And this would be one thing that would really drive it. So that happened. I don't know if anything's going to become of it because I don't know what kind of minerals are on the moon. Uh, uh, there was another one. And I, oh, no, that was the last space one. Okay. Uh, okay. Bernie Sanders is out now. So, uh, so who's that leave I us don't with? know. No one. I mean, <laughs> there's that guy who's got Alzheimer's. Who's, I don't know if he thinks he's going to run or not. It really... We don't have it. I don't think we really. No I have to wonder if Democrat maybe candidate. What what is the, no what is Democrat go on would this run? Year? Wouldn't that be weird? That way, <laughs> at least no. Like nobody runs for president, and they say Trump <laughs> is a dictator because just he because wouldn't no allow opposition. us to have elections. But that it's not his fault. Everybody dropped out, yeah. except for this old. Biden. I, yeah. <laughs> it's a joke even to talk about. It is. It I, is. I, I know. So, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess Biden's the only, well, you know, there's talk of, uh, Cuomo running or yeah. actually not even running, actually just taking the nomination. Oh. Uh, since Bernie hasn't really been elected by delegates or anyone else yet, I mean, they're talking about a, you know, just, we don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. I, if I were a Democrat, I'd be so angry because they've, <laughs> they've completely ignored the, 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 the real party, the, mm -hmm. the blue bloods at home. Yeah. And, the masses they, of the, the party itself. I mean, which, you know, if, if they hadn't completely ignored the real party, they wouldn't be so, uh, extreme on things like abortion and homosexuality and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got to think that there are some real people who are Democrats who don't agree with that crap. We do. Hmm. So, anyway. Uh, so, OPEC, OPEC is going to hold an emergency emergency meeting. You've seen the gas prices. Gas, gas prices. They're low. They're like cutting half. Yeah. It's like, and I mean, it's like, oh, wow. That, like, 
like back when I started. This was driving. because <laughs> Saudi Arabia and and this was specifically against Russia started mm-hmm. pumping oil into the economy, um, and in order to lower oil prices, in order to hurt Russia. Oh, okay. Well, and so OPEC wants to have an emergency meeting to try to cut the outputs and uh, try to get try to get uh, a little bit more control over the. Uh, well, wait a minute. Hold on. This doesn't make any sense the way this is written. OPEC holds an emergency meeting to try to agree on output cuts. Oh, okay. Due to the decreased demand for oil. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. We're not using as much oil. We have a decreased demand. Well, There's no reason we're not to pump using as much. much. Nobody's going anywhere. Right, but we should be. Yeah, now and nobody's working. I mean, the open the country, are let down. people go. Yeah, but Russia is saying no. We're not going. If if Saudi Arabia is going, we're not going. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and that is it in the news. Yeah. I don't have anything in nonsense news except I Nothing? came across. Well, I came across this this thing. Okay, hold on. Yeah. So uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently, yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> apparently, uh, it, 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 back in 1970, a uh, four uh, eight ton whale uh, washed up. And die. A sperm whale washed up and died uh, on the shore of Oregon. And the um, state highway department decided to use 20 cases of dynamite to to disintegrate it. (laughs) They thought, oh, we'll just blow the thing to smithereens and then all the seagulls will come and and eat up all the bits of whale that are laying around. Um, Well, apparently it went pretty badly. Um so they, this was back in 1970, and I'll get in a minute to why it's relevant. Um, so it, it like blasted blubber. Uh, it, they had a bunch of spectators. <laughs> well, you can imagine they got rained on by whale. <laughs> there was even a big old piece of blubber that like smashed a car a quarter mile away. <laughs> and apparently the, the upshot of it all is, in spite of everybody getting rained on by blubber, the the great the greater part of the whale carcass still stayed right there on the shore. They didn't even get rid of it. So anyway, so wh- where did this happen? This was in Oregon in 1970. Back in 1970, oh, 50, 50 years ago. I thought you were talking about Europe somewhere. No, the Oregon. This 1970. is in America. This is in America. Yep. Okay. North, northwest coast. Okay, so now this story has been resurrected by a town in England that's trying to use it to teach a lesson about social distancing during the coronavirus outbreak. I guess, I guess what they're saying is, hey, these guys, they could have just left the whale alone and stayed at home and that would have been better than what they did. And so they're trying to say, therefore, stay at home that's better than going out and living life and, and participating in an economy. Um, that's such a... A stupid analogy, isn't there's it? There's no connection. There you go. Yeah, one, I don't see one, more, one more example of what do you get from a country who f- makes you buy a license to watch TV? <laughs> but you know what it is? It's, it's 
what do you get from any bureaucracy? Because exactly. it was it was obviously a, a government decision to blow up this whale to get rid of it. Oregon State Highway Department. That's right. Yeah, and, that's right. And and now we've got another government saying, "Well, they did the wrong thing. Let's all stop working." That's right. Yep. I look. I we're on the we're on the very verge here of, of creating a depression like we haven't seen or like yeah. we have seen and not in a long time. All in the response. number of people who died in, during the Great Depression was incredible. Yeah. Because of, uh, well, first of all, just because it's suicide. Yep, suicides, and then now, you know, then the secondary, the starvation and stuff. I've heard people say you can't compare that to today, because today we have all these uh, things for people, unemployment and stuff like that. No, you don't. But those things were created during the Great Depression. Yeah, welfare no, was created it's... during the Great Depression. People still killed themselves. What brought us out of it was when we joined the war. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's when the suicide rates went down. That's we we don't have that today. We we don't have the ability to absorb. Yeah, okay, yeah, you, you have unemployment offices and welfare offices and that kind of stuff for a certain level of population, but we don't have the ability to absorb the whole population into that. that that's silly to think that it's that's insane. even going to be a, a factor. No, we're going to have, a, you know, if, if we don't get the country back, you know, turned back on as, as Trump is, is trying to, you know, to do it, if we don't get the country turned back on, yeah, we're still going to see the suicides. And we're going to see the people who don't commit suicide, they're going to be live the rest of their lives in financial ruin. Right. I mean, you know, okay. The one thing that's really starting to get on my nerves, um, a lot of things get on my nerves, and a lot of things really get on my nerves. But uh, the one thing lately is this: uh, let's all pull together. We're in this together. Uh, we're we're going through this as a country. All these these Pollyanna encouragements that I keep hearing. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. What do you mean I'm doing a great job? No, they're not. I'm losing my home. How is yeah. that a great job? That's not. Nope. That's not a great job. And I don't need any encouragement from you. Just let me go to work. Yeah. Now I'm saying that, but I am going to work. I'm lucky. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But you're one of the. There's right, a lot of people who aren't. Us, but but yeah, exactly. No, that's and this exactly. this fake encouragement. We're not is, in it together. Stupid. The the, the the governor's no. not sitting at home wearing wondering where his next paycheck's going to wow. be. The, the are, governors are you who are issuing feed my these kids? executive orders, they're not wondering how they're going to feed their kids. They're not. We're not in this together. They they can do nothing for. I, I mean, they're not going to take care of the things that a job would have taken care of. Right. Or that they're not going to take care of me the way I could have taken care of myself if I had been allowed to go to work. It's stupid. Quit telling me we're in this together. We're not. Yep. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, <clears throat> there was a Barney Miller episode. This is the second time I'm Barney, up Miller, Barney yeah, Miller. I know, twice in a row now. Week too. <laughs> I'm um, going to have to go back and watch some of those old episodes. <laughs> there was one of the last episodes, there was an Indian who was uh, protesting the museum digging up his ancestor's bones. Mm -hmm. And 
So he's protesting and they head to arrest him and he's sitting there in the jail cell and this other guy comes up who's a Boy Scout guy and he says, you know, I want you to know uh, we're behind you on this and, and we do anything we can to help. And the Indian looks at him. He says, are you a lawyer? He says, no, I'm a scout master. He says, oh, can't use a scout master. I need a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. I, I need a job. I need a job. I, I don't need exactly. you to encourage me. I don't, I don't care what you think if I, I did a, a good job. job. I need money. <laughs> need a lawyer. <laughs> but the, uh, look, we got, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We can only keep saying this. We got to go back to work. Yep. Yep. Got to get people insane. back to work. That's what's going to allow us to survive this virus. I mean, it's panic. This, this panic virus demic. who has killed <laughs> yeah. 14,000 people in the U.S. compared to the uh, influenza, which kills uh, up to 60,000 each year. Yeah. Uh, this panic-demic. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> those numbers speak for themselves. There's nothing else to say about it. I know. Well, anyway, that's all I got. That's all I've got. All right. Well, uh, so we'll uh, I know call it here. I guess we'll uh, see you next week. Hopefully, we had to. We we kind of had to force ourselves to get on on today. You know, I really wasn't in the mood in the beginning. Oh no, I I, I was. I, oh okay. <laughs> I was like, I hope he says I. I just can't do it, Eric. <laughs> and then I'm going to take a nap. I gave you an extra half hour. I know, and I, I, but I, I even, I, I pushed you a little bit because I was like, we need to, because if we don't, we're going to stop completely. Yeah. That's but how now these you're, things work. Now you're glad we did, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Think about what we said, folks, and, and we'll see you next week. And of course, circle the beads. Circle the beads. Keep praying that rosary. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll be allowed to work next week. Yep. All right. Bye, folks. All right. Thanks, folks. Bye.